0: Fathers, we enter into a new calendar year, Lord. Our song is our prayer that you would be our vision. Father, that your face would be all that we see and that your glory would be all that we seek. Father, we come to you because we need you. We need your presence. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom. We need your direction. We thank you that through your Son Jesus Christ, our victory has been won. He is our High King. That even though the page of the calendar has turned, his seat on the throne has remained. Others, our lives constantly shift and change as our world constantly shifts and change. We thank you for the reminder we'll see in your word this morning that you remain. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So Lord, as we open your word together this morning, we come asking that we would see you, that we would get a glimpse, a fresh vision of you. We would be reminded of who you are and in seeing who you are, we might see who we are and who you've called us to be and what it is you've invited us into as your children. Father, be our vision. Help us to see you in your word today. Sanctify us in the truth of your word because your word is truth. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, I'm gonna invite you to turn with me in your Bible. Psalm chapter 90 is where we are gonna start out our year together um, as our church family. If you weren't here for the welcome, my name is Taylor. I serve here at Cross as lead pastor. We're honored to have you worshiping with us. I um, always want to remind you, if you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, uh, there's a table in the back corner of this room. There's black hardback Bibles there. You are free to pick one of those up as you come in each week. You are free to grab one as you leave today. That's our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, no strings attached to that. We would love to place that um, in your hands. But Psalm chapter 90, if you want to go ahead and turn with me, that's where we're going to go together In our time this morning. Um, Several years ago I was at a training cohort with a couple dozen pastors and uh, during the week that we were part of this training we had the opportunity to hear the testimony of a brother who had served as a chaplain in some military special forces units and um, he had been in some very high stress, high pressure, uh, life-threatening combat types of situations. I mean it was just thrilling for a few hours to listen this brother recount his stories and his ministry experience. In those circumstances, and uh, after getting out of the military, he went on to become a seminary professor and uh, a pastor. Um, but he shared with us during his time that he had always felt that his most effective, most fruitful ministry was not in the classroom and had not taken place in the space of the church, but took place in combat. He he went on to share how, in these combat situations, these high stress, high pressure, life threatening moments, he said that circumstance forced him every single morning to wake up and see the sun rise with the understanding that he might not see it set again. And he resolved in that context to make the most of every opportunity that the Lord placed in front of him. He knew that every single day could very well be his last or it could very well be the last day of those that he was called to serve. And he wanted to wholeheartedly throw himself into the ministry that the Lord had given him and resolved that when he came home, he would continue to live his life with the same urgency because as he reminded us in those moments, he said, it's not just in a combat situation that we're not guaranteed tomorrow, this is everyday life. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, so he left us with this. He said, if you want to make the most of your life, think often of your death. Now, Psalm chapter 90 is, many of our, the oldest Psalm in our Bibles. The heading says that it's a Psalm of Moses, the man of God, the prophet of God. And we're not given the exact context of this psalm other than to know that God's people were wandering in the wilderness. They had been freed from bondage and slavery in Egypt. They were still awaiting their entry into the promised land, and they're facing some sort of difficult situation. They're calling out to God to have mercy and to have pity upon them, to show his favor to his people once again, to deliver them. And Psalm 90 is very commonly, very frequently used in funerals. Because Psalm 90 forces us to grapple with the brevity of life. Psalm 90 forces us to come to the grips with the fact that you and I will not live forever. And I think this is an important reminder for us because if you're like me, very often we get it in our minds like one day, uh, there's never going to be the day when we don't see Jesus face to face. Like this is just going to go on forever and we're going to continue to live our lives as if we're going to live forever. But Psalm 90 reminds us that this is not the case. What we see in Psalm chapter 90 is that mankind has been formed from the dust of the ground and we will return to the dust of the ground, but this is not the case with God. Our God is God from everlasting and he is God to everlasting. And we'll see from Psalm 90 this morning that the only life that's worth living, the only life that's well lived is the life that's lived in him. If we want to make the most of our lives, we'll think often of our death. And Psalm 90 forces us to grapple with this reality. So this is what we're gonna do this morning. Uh, we're gonna spend the first 20 or so minutes just working together through the text, uh, Psalm chapter 90. And then as we get to the end of Psalm 90, verses 12 through 17, we see several petitions that Moses makes to the Lord on behalf of the people. And what we're gonna do is close out our time of worship today. Is our first Sunday together of the year. We want to uh, have just an extended time of prayer where we focus our hearts and minds, we orient ourselves into the Lord as we enter into a new calendar year. So Psalm chapter 90, let's read together first verses 1 and 2. This is what Michael read for us earlier. Moses prays, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting and to everlasting. You are God. So we see first this morning from Psalm chapter 90 the words of Moses is that the Lord God himself is our eternal dwelling place. At the time that Moses praised these words, God's people were just a few decades removed from centuries of slavery in Egypt, but they had not yet entered the promised land. They were wandering in the wilderness because of their sin, because of the rebellion against the Lord, they were denied initial entry and access to the promised land. So they had been enslaved in Egypt. They're now living in the desert. And as we know, even the place of worship uh, as they wandered through the desert was kind of what we do on Sunday morning. It was portable church, right? So there was a, a real lack of permanence in their lives. There was no true home. They were longing for their true home, and what Moses does in verses 1 and 2 is he reminds the people that their true home is not a physical structure. It's not a geographic nation. It's not an elaborate temple. Their true home was the Lord God himself. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He says, "'Lord, you have been our eternal dwelling place.'" Before there was a nation, before there was a temple, before there were physical homes, even before creation itself, there was God. Nations rise and fall. Homes and temples can be destroyed. Even the earth, the great hymn tells us, will dissolve like snow, but from everlasting to everlasting, there has been, is, and always will be God. Two Sundays ago, I had the opportunity to go visit my dad's gravesite. It was the 10-year anniversary since he passed away. And as we're sitting there looking at his headstone, it uh, has what all of our headstones will one day have. All of us uh, have a from and all of us will have a to. That's what that dash represents. And so there it is, on my dad's headstone. May 16th, 1961 to December 19th, 2011. All of us have a from and all of us will have a to, but this is not true of God. They tried to give our God a headstone, but he overcame the grave His was rolled away. If you were to give our God a from and to give our God a to, it would say that he is from everlasting and he is to everlasting. He has no beginning and he has no end. He is the alpha and he's the omega. He's the first and he's the last. He is the start and the finish and everything in between. This is who our God is. He has no start and he has no end from everlasting to everlasting, Moses tells us our God is God. He's completely independent. He's totally free of any need. He was God before there was ever creation. He's eternal. He's completely unbound by time. When the calendar turned from 2021 to 2022, our God did not get a midlife crisis. He completely transcends any concept of time. From everlasting to everlasting, he's God. And for everything that's true about God's eternal independence, the opposite is true for you and I. This is what Moses goes on to say in verses 3 through 11. He says of God, you return man to dust and say, return, old children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, passed, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. Verse 7, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So second, we see from this passage this morning that the sweeping brevity of life is a consequence of sin. So Moses, the man of God, he's speaking prophetically under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, praying to the Lord. He uses several metaphors to describe just how brief our lives are. Now, if you started your Bible reading plan yesterday, we're reminded from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And if you follow your reading plan today, you'll read Genesis chapter 3, which reminds us of the curse of sin. When man fell into sin, the curse that was pronounced on him was, you are dust, and to dust you will return. It's a traditional prayer that's often prayed at funerals. We are ashes to ashes and dust to dust. And you know, When we die, it typically takes a human body uh, in the right conditions less than a decade to fully decompose. It's going to come for all of us. Mankind was formed for the dust, and one day we'll return to the dust, and it's going to happen way more quickly than most of us are comfortable recognizing. Moses says that our days are swept away like the sudden appearance of a flash flood. He said they're like a dream that fades. He said our days, our years, it's like a sigh. It's just a breath. James chapter 4 verse 13, James says of our lives, he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He asks, what is your life? Here's how James says it. He says, you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Moses said that our lives are like grass that was refreshed in the morning, and because we live in Beaufort, South Carolina, it's dry again by the evening. This is our lives. Our lives are a blip on the radar screen of eternity. James says you are not here today, gone tomorrow. You are here today and gone today. Our lives are brief. God is God from everlasting to everlasting, but we are from dust and to dust we will return. And Moses reminds us in verses 7 through 9 that this is all the consequence of sin. He says, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Romans 3 reminds us that we have all sinned. All of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6 reminds us that the payment, the penalty for sin, the consequence of sin is death. Every single one of us, both by birth as descendants of Adam and by participation in our rebellion against God have sinned against him. We stand guilty in his sight and nothing is hidden, Moses tells us, from his sight. All of our secret sins, everything that we've done, the worst of the worst, it's all laid bare before him. God is eternal and mankind is dust. Moses says of mankind, he says, you get 70 years. If you're lucky, 80. Moses, we know, lived to actually be 120 years. The Lord sustained him up to the point that he was prepared to allow his people to go into the promised land. But that was absolutely the exception and not the norm. As a matter of fact, during the time of Moses, the life expectancy was far less than 70 or 80. He's calling the people to remember the brevity of life and to recognize the brevity of life, particularly in light of eternity. But man, I, I fear for so many of us, we live and we operate as if we're going to live forever. But we were given a really sad reminder a couple of days ago that no one's going to live forever. Now, If there's one person that I think collectively as a culture we, may, we all thought really might live forever, it was Betty White. And, and if, you know, you didn't know this news already, I'm sorry to go ahead and ruin your 2022, but Betty White passed away on New Year's Eve at 99 years old. Set to be 100 years old in just a couple of weeks. If it fell just short of that, January 17th would have been her 100th birthday. You think about the life of Betty White, like how much history she saw in a century. And we, we forget just how near some of this history is to us. She uh, was born just a few years after the end of World War I. She sees the stock market collapse in 1929, grows up in depression era. She lives through World War II. She sees Korea. She sees Vietnam. She sees the turbulence of the 60s. She sees the assassination of Kennedy. She sees man land on the moon. She sees all the political turmoil the next few decades. She sees the major technological advancements and revolution of our world. She sees September 11th all of this. I mean, it feels like she crammed 10 lifetimes into 100 years. In our minds, like that feels like that's about as good as it gets, right? Man, live 100 years, live 10 decades, cram all this history into one single lifespan. It seems like so much to us, and Moses reminds us it is nothing to God. He says, for the Lord, a thousand years passed, and it's like it was just a day. He says it's like a watch in the night. He had fire guard duty for a couple of hours. So let's just do the math on this for just a second. If we take the math that Moses gives us, but let's talk about Betty White's life in light of eternity. So uh, let's go ahead and I think it's fair to give her the credit and just say that she lived to be 100, right? Are we, are we good with that? She was a couple of weeks shy, um, but she almost lived to be 100 years old. Let's just say she lived to be 100 years old. Now, I'm not a math person. If my math is correct, 100 is 10% of 1,000. Are we good? Is that, is that good so far? Okay, great. 10% of a day, is just under two and a half hours. So from God's perspective, the hundred years of Betty White's life, it's like it was just two and a half hours. If the Lord's anything like me, I mean, the first two and a half hours of his day, I mean, he's still in his sweatpants and working on the second cup of coffee, right? Like that's where the Lord is at in his day in comparison to the hundred years of Betty White's life it all just passes away right before him. Let me really just mess with some of your brains this morning, and some of you, I'm really gonna mess with your end times theology. Peter fielded this concern as well whenever we read his works. The criticism was coming. Man, where's where's this return of Jesus? And we could look at that today and be like, yeah, it's been 2,000 years. Like, where's this return that Jesus promised? And Peter reminded those who were leveling this criticism, he says, listen, God doesn't do time like we do time. He said, remember the Lord, like one day, it's like a thousand years. That's what Moses shows us this. So so let's just look at this from the perspective of God. We think, man, it's been 2000 years since Jesus. When's this return gonna happen? From God's perspective, it's been two days. Listen, for all we know, we're still the early church. Did I mess with you a little bit this morning? God does not do time the way you and I do time. God does not exist within the confines of time the way we exist within the confines of time. He is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. He, his from and his to is eternity to eternity. He's completely immutable. He never changes. He remains the same. God is God from everlasting to everlasting, and mankind is finite from dust to dust. So how should we live our lives in light of this reality? What should we pray for? What should we ask the Lord for? Whenever we stand back and we consider the brevity of our lives in light of eternity, what type of urgency should we live our lives with? This is what Moses shows us in verses 12 through 17. He lifts several petitions to the Lord. In light of the reality of eternity, in light of the immensity of eternity, Moses asked the Lord this. He says, so teach us to number our days. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So, third, we see this morning that a heart of wisdom is required to make the most of our days. We'll not live forever. We, we have to grapple with the brevity of our lives. We, we have to grapple with the reality of just how short, how brief our lives are in comparison to eternity. And we recognize that everything that's wrong in this world, everything that's broken, everything that's evil, everything that is, is not the way it should be, it all exists because of the presence of sin. Um, a couple of months ago, I had to make a, a pretty significant personal change. I had to go gluten-free in my diets. And I promise you, that's not because I think it's fashionable or because I just wanted to. It was definitely not my choice. I mean, it was being kicking, kicking and screaming into that change, I promise you. And, and so we're driving my two youngest boys uh, on New Year's Eve. We were going to pick up pizza. And Nolan, uh, our middle, he asked me, he says, hey, Dad, are you going to be able to eat this pizza? I'm like, no, buddy, Dad's got special pizza. Cauliflower crust, yeah. It's going to be great. And Lincoln, Lincoln, our youngest, he's four, he says, he goes, Daddy, when is this sickness going to leave? And that was really the first time I had grappled with the question. I said, buddy, probably not until Daddy sees Jesus face to face. That's just a small example Do any of us, do you look at this world? Do you look at sin? Do you look at death? Do you look at the destruction? Do you look at the brokenness? Does that not make you long for the return of Jesus? Does that not make you long for the day when all that is wrong is gonna be made right? Does that not make you long for the day when death will be no more and there will only be life forever in the presence of Jesus? you not long for this, friends? This is what Moses prays for. This is what he petitions for. This is what he pleads. He, He says here in this passage, He's longing for the Lord's presence. He's longing for the people to be restored. He's seeking satisfaction from the Lord, and he asks for gladness to replace their suffering and their affliction. He longs for the Lord to reveal his power to his people and the children. He longs for his favor to be upon their work. We we, uh, sang these words just a few moments ago, where we were praying and asking the Lord, establish the work of our hands, and we pray for this. We, we desire this, we long this, reminds me of the words of, of the famous follower of Christ, Christian missionary, theologian, C.T. Studd. He reminds us that oh, there is only one life It will soon be passed. How's it finish? Only what's done for Christ will last. Our lives are nothing in comparison to eternity. We have to come to grips with the brevity of our lives. We have to come to grips with the reality and the immensity of eternity. We, we get this one single infinitesimally small opportunity to exist and then forever. You know, church, it's, it's not that human beings have never had distractions before. Okay, it's, it's not that throughout history there have not been opportunities for people to be distracted, to throw their lives away on frivolous pursuits, and uh, to have the presence of things in their lives that draw their attention away from the Lord. But I would make the argument that it has probably never been easier in human history for us to throw our lives away on completely meaningless, frivolous pursuits than it is right now. For some of us this year, you're going to struggle for the Lord to be your vision because you constantly have a screen in front of your face. We refuse to make ourselves fully attentive to the Word of God. We refuse to make ourselves fully attentive in prayer. We always keep at arm's length something that will keep us from seeing him and hearing him and knowing him. And we don't see him and we don't hear him because we choose to make ourselves aware of a million lesser things. And Moses reminds us, we, we need to be asking the Lord and pleading with the Lord to teach us to number our days. That we not throw our lives away in things that will absolutely matter, not at all, a thousand years from now. And so this is what we're going to do as we we close out our time together this morning. From verses 12 through 17, we're going to take about the next 15 minutes. And we're going to look at five petitions that Moses makes to the Lord from these verses. And then we're going to spend a few minutes just corporately as a body of believers praying through each one of these areas of focus. As we enter into a new year, as we desire for the Lord to be our vision, for his face to be what we see, for his glory to be what we seek, we're going to look at five prayers to orient our hearts and our minds and our desires toward him in the year ahead. And so here's the five petitions for a new year. The first is for a heart of wisdom. In just a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord for a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we would live wisely before him. The second focus will be the return of Christ. We're going to petition for the return of Jesus Christ. Third, what we'll pray for a satisfied, rejoicing soul. Fourth, we'll pray for the Lord's revealed power in our world. And then last, we're going to ask for his hand of favor on our world. I know you're working with a, a blank slate in your, in your notes this morning. Those are gonna remain on the screen for the next several minutes. And we're gonna pray through each one of these one at a time. And so what we're gonna do with each one of these is, uh, I'm gonna pray just a brief prayer and then I'm just gonna let it sit for about two or three minutes. Just give you the opportunity to pray and to reflect and to go before the Lord as we ask Him to be our vision, ask Him to be our guide, as we orient our hearts and minds towards Him for a new year. We wanna start with a foundation of prayer and seeking the Lord. So the first thing we're gonna do is pray for a heart of wisdom. If you wanna make the most of your life, think often of your death. Moses says, teach us Lord to number our days that we may receive a heart of wisdom. Church, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend this single, unguaranteed blip on the radar of an existence throwing my life away on things that are absolutely not going to matter before the throne of Jesus, and I don't want it for you either. Let's go to the Lord and ask him that we would be people who make the most of our days, who number our days, who throw ourselves wholeheartedly into him, into his calling on our lives. Let's let's pray this together. Father, teach us to number our days that we would receive a heart of wisdom. Your word promises us if we lack wisdom that we can ask of God who gives to us liberally and without reproach. Your word tells us that you are pleased at the request for wisdom. Your word shows us that you are pleased with Solomon's request for wisdom. Your word tells us that the fear of you is the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of knowledge. So Lord, help us to stand this morning in light of your immensity, in light of eternity, in light of your holiness. To consider our own finite existence and to number our days. Lord, grant us wisdom. So, where do you lack wisdom? Where do you need wisdom in the year ahead? Where do you need wisdom in your life? Where do you need wisdom in your marriage, with your children, with your friends, with your family, with your workplace, with a big decision? We'll walk through this as individuals. Certainly, as a church, we will have big challenges. We will need God's wisdom to guide us and direct us at each step. Spend just a couple of moments in prayer asking the Lord for a heart of wisdom. prayer is a petition for the return of Christ. Verse 13, Moses prays, he says, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. For Moses and the people of Israel, they were longing for the Lord's deliverance from their wandering in the wilderness, and the Lord was faithful. He did lead his people into the promised land. And as we just celebrated for uh, the month of Advent, we can be confident that just as sure as the Lord has come to us once, he will come again. Some of the final words in our Bible, we pray, amen, come Lord Jesus. Don't you long for his return? Don't you long for the day when sin and death and sadness and sorrow, cancer and COVID, it's all gonna be gone. One day it's all going to come to an end. All of the bad things will come untrue. All that is wrong will be made right. We will forever be with our Savior Jesus. Let's pray and ask him and plead for his return. Lord, we long for your return. Your word tells us that we see you right now in part. But you promise one day we will see you face to face. God, we long for that day. We long for the day when the clouds will give way, when the fog will be lifted, when the darkness will flee, and we will see Jesus face to face. Set our hearts on that day. Continue to pray for the return of Christ. Verses 14 and 15, Moses pleads, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. So third this morning, we're going to plead to the Lord for a satisfied, rejoicing soul. It's the early church father, Augustine, who reminds us that the Lord has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Your joy in a new year is not coming through new year, new you. It's going to be found when you find perfect contentment in Jesus Christ. Father, remind us this morning that we will never have all we need, until you are all we need to have. Father, make us satisfied in you. Content our hearts in you. Help us to see that joy, true satisfaction, true contentment cannot come from anything else this world has to offer. Help us to rejoice in you. Help us to be glad in you. Help us, as George Mueller said, to make it our first business each day to have souls that are happy in you. Just continue to pray and ask the Lord that you would find satisfaction and contentment in him. That we would rejoice in him. We would be glad in him. Moses petitions in verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. So forth, we we're going to petition to the Lord for his revealed power in our world. We're going to ask the Lord to pour out his Holy Spirit, to move in an Acts chapter two kind of way, to look back on his mighty movements in ages past and believe that he can do it again and more in the future. longing not just to see God move in our lives but to move in our children's lives for our children for our sons and our daughters in their lifetime with their eyes to see God move in power so father we come to you pleading this morning that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us God that the heavens would break open that your people would be filled with strength and power that as we come to you in confession and repentance and as we turn our backs on this world and as we long for you Lord, make us a people who are eager to see you move. Make us a people who are not content to live our lives without seeing you move in power. Lord, do a work in our day that can only be attributed to your power and your name and your glory, something that we can't explain in our own strength. Father, we want to see you move. We long for our children. We long for our sons and daughters to see you move. Pour out your spirit on us. Move in power in our midst. Let's continue for a couple of moments to ask the Lord to reveal his power in our lives, in our world, in the lives of our children, that the fullness of his glory would be displayed. saying this together earlier, but this is going to be our final petition this morning. Verse 17, Moses says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So here's the good news for us today. God's favor has been poured out on us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, all of our secret sins, Psalm 90, are laid bare in His sight. Yes, there's nothing that's hidden from Him. Yes, we are dust, and to dust we will return. Yes, death is a consequence of sin, but the good news of the gospel is that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and all who confess and repent of their sins and call on His name by faith will find favor in His sight his hand of wrath and judgment against us will be removed. And on account of the perfect righteousness of Jesus, God will always, only, and continually see us through the perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus. And so we boldly ask him, let your favor be upon us because if you are in Christ, his favor is already upon you. And we ask him by the power of his Holy Spirit, by his grace, by his strength, that he would establish the work of our hands, that we would do nothing in our own strength, that we, as Jesus would remind us, abide in him. Because he is the vine and we're the branches. So Father, we ask this morning for your favor to be upon us. That as we turn from this world, as we turn from our sin, God, that the light of your righteousness would shine upon your people. Lord, that you would strengthen our hands. Father, I know so many come in this room today weary and burdened and beaten down. Father, remind us that it is through our weakness that you are proven strong. That as we read earlier, you have chosen what is weak in this world to shame the strong. We can boast in you. Father, let your favor be upon your people and establish the work of our hands. So just a moment, we're going to come to the table uh, for the Lord's Supper. We're going to sing. We're going to continue in worship together. We've done some of this already, but I just want to encourage you here for a couple of moments before we come to the table once again, that we would consider that we are dust. We would consider the consequence of sin. We would consider what it costs the Lord to save us by giving us his son, Jesus. And so before we we sing, before we come to the table, let's not do this lightly Listen, friends, we prepare the table every single week. We prepare it every single week, and every single week we, we offer this to you. And we also encourage you, don't just do this meaninglessly. Don't do this out of obligation. Don't do this just to check a box or go through the rhythm, go through the routine. God gave his son, Jesus Christ, so that you could be saved. And he has given us this table to be reminded of that reality. So I just want to encourage you just for a couple more moments, let's bow our heads, Let's, let's enter into confession, let's enter into repentance. That we would see clearly who our God is, we would see clearly who we are, and be reminded of what he's done for us in giving us Jesus. Psalm 90 reminds us that nothing is hidden from his sight, all of our sin is exposed in his presence. So I challenge you this morning, what is in your life that is not of Christ? What sin, what actions, what words, what behaviors, what motives, what desires, what habits, what intentions, what is in you, what is of you that is not of Christ? Let's confess our sins and ask the Lord for a heart of genuine repentance that we would turn from our sins and look to the cross, look to Jesus, look and see that the penalty for your sin is has been paid, and forgiveness is freely offered to all those who will confess and believe. Let's confess, let's repent, let's reflect. This time of prayer, I want to invite us uh, into a moment of corporate prayer. And so these words are going to be on the screen. I'm going to invite you to read them with me in just a moment. Uh, it's from one of my favorite prayer books, a short collection of Puritan prayers called The Valley of Vision. And we've prayed this together congregationally before, but as we've sang about this this morning and as we've seen it in God's Word, it, it should be our prayer, I think, at the beginning of a new year that the Lord would be our vision, that we would see Him even from the depths of our brokenness, who He is. And so I want to invite us just as one family, as one body. Let's pray these words together, and then we're going to sing and come to the table together as we close our time. This is the Valley of Vision. Again, this will be on the screen. I invite you to read this with me. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the Valley of Vision, where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from deepest wells, and the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Amen.